The Unbiased Podcast is recorded live at the Ministry of Sound and powered by Copus. Hello, I'm Karen Barrett, CEO and founder of unbiased.co.uk, and this is the Unbiased Podcast, available to listen to completely free from wherever you find your great audio experiences. Unbiased.co.uk has a range of really useful calculator tools to help you plan your pension or mortgage. Head on now and try them out. This week on Your Money, Your Future, I'm delighted to be joined by the founder of the Jura Society, Lottie Leaf. Lottie, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much for having me. So today I really want to talk about how we can change the narrative for women around financial confidence and well-being. Lottie, I know this is something you're really passionate about and it's at the heart of your own business, the Jura Society. So tell me more about why you founded the business and what you do and of course how the name came about. Yeah, very good questions. Why did I do it? Let's go back in time a bit. Why am I here now? So I actually studied design at university. Yeah, bit of a curveball. Yeah, exactly. Um, I studied interdisciplinary design. Never, ever, ever thought about getting into finance. I think my 16-year-old self would be very confused at what I'm doing with my life right now. But I ended up falling into wealth management. And through that, I realised there was this huge disconnect between the way that we are sold finance and actually the impact that it has on our lives, i.e. the emotional side of it. So through frustration, through really kind of not figuring out why there was so much administration when it comes down to finances. And and so I was like, well, who's really benefiting from this? Because the clients Mm -hmm. are still just as confused as they were before they came in, and you're charging quite a lot of money for this. So let's get down to basics of what is the purpose of what we're doing, and it's security, and it's Mm-hmm. You know, it's making sure that you feel safe and secure in your, your future self and finances is the framework to do that so yeah. 2016 okay. I ended up having a spinal fluid leak oh sorry to hear that well I had no idea what was going on I had a wonderful neurologist though and I had to go into hospital for two weeks to have some procedures done and mm-hmm. in that time I had that sort of reflective moment of right you know that what if like is my purpose just to do administration no um you know and and doing that whole I was like come on let's push it so the name dura comes from the dura matter so it's the membrane that protects your spinal column and your brain which is the bit that I broke and it also fabulous story how did you break it (laughs) no idea I think do you know what it's a real kind of like first world problem I think I think it was too much pilates oh I was hoping for (laughs) you know some sort of explosive gymnastic event (laughs) no and it's a really subtle leak it's all the you know all the protective stuff that's yeah. in your brain all the the fluid that all fell out my back so I was like oh great but duramata in latin means tough mother as well and Excellent. so I was like I really wanted to bring something together where you're talking about finance you're talking about wealth and you're talking about well-being and using the insights that I'd learned through working in wealth management to translate yeah. that into something that would actually help people who were not familiar with the terminology or just how to approach finances yeah, great. You say you fell into wealth management. How does one fall in wealth management? <laughs> uh, so before wealth management, I was doing property. Um, again, a lot of admin. And I was like, oh, these are people's houses. I actually did my mm. dissertation on the home. I'm really interested in love how people live. And yeah. um, 
so I did that because I wanted to be nosy and then I was like oh this is really boring can't do, deal with KPIs and all that stuff like yeah. these yeah. are people's lives and then I ended up working for the founder of one of the founding partners of St James's Place who was this fantastic woman called Anne and we just had so much fun so I was with her for about four years she also had an asset management firm out in Hong Kong Brilliant. I had no idea about finance but she went on the are you good as a person will you get this approach and yeah yeah. Like, yeah yeah and we just had a really strong working relationship and I think she inspired you did she she sounds like a fantastic person she was amazing and you know terrifying but amazing yeah. but if there was anybody who was going to get me to commit to working in finance it was her well I first came across you on Instagram where you know clearly I'm in finance and stuff but then you know you have your life and it was the first time that I'd seen some content that really resonated so mm. I love the way that you know, you take quotes and different pictures and images and sort of intertwine them with finance. Has that been a way that you sort of carved out your niche in what you do or, or reached an audience that you wouldn't necessarily reach in other ways? Yeah, that's a really important point to note, I guess. I have just done it really intuitively. There's never been a plan. I've just like, how would I like it to be presented? And other people seem to follow suit. And I'm like, it's, it's getting that context around finance as well. Like, it's not just learning how, you know, insurances work and all yeah. of that. Yes, that's important. But it's it's understanding how it works in relation to you as an individual. And I think as well, like, it's also corporate out there. And that's yes. alienating. So I just try and I, I do how I would like it to be done. And so what's an audience do you see? I don't know, are you on different platforms or is it your website that you push out most of your content or engage with people on how are you doing it and what sort of audiences do you reach? Yeah, good question. Um, So because I've got my background in in wealth management, I do have a a strong network of professional advisors. Like I worked in private equity briefly, so I've got my foot in those doors and it's it's bringing that all together. So I, I have a quite active audience on LinkedIn for instance and they're like the professional advisors and some of them then slip through to becoming clients of mine because I do one-on-one coaching with individuals as well and then through Instagram that's sort of the next gen wealth barrier as well which is something again is really important getting next gen female wealth stewards getting them engaged with it as well because if you were just to plonk them in the office of a financial manager they'll be like Right, what are you doing? Oh, sorry, I'm going to speak yeah. that. So there's them. Who else? Oh, and I do a lot of workshops with private members clubs as well. And I think the reason they let me in is because of the approach that I've got. I'm not going to sell products. I'm selling service and yes. education. Something's going to be of help to them. You know, you're yeah. not there to give them the hard yeah, sell. Yeah, it's not to... hard sell. It's information. Yeah. It's where can you go to find the information that is relevant to you? So even through Instagram, you know, I've match made some individuals, you know, when they've got quite complex trust issues, mm-hmm. jurisdiction, and they wouldn't really know where to go. And they just come to me and I kind of act as a signpost. I'm like, right, you need to speak to and I'll sit yeah. in on the meetings with them as well. Yeah. If they're not comfortable with all the crap, I'll be like, right, okay, I'll sit here and I'll help you digest it. So I kind of act as a confidant in a way. You know, Unbiased deals with a lot of people who are doing, you know, making those big life decisions. It's around planning for retirement, retirement. You mentioned trusts, tax is a big issue, or buying their home where they want to, mm-hmm. to live. So really big financial decisions that have you know, quite an emotional impact to them. Is that where you help most people that you come into contact with, whether it's, you know, just some information on Instagram or whether it's via your coaching or, you know, full on you're advising them? Yeah, so just to caveat as well, I don't give any regulated financial okay. advice. I slip through that net I, because I don't 
that's not my purpose. It's, yeah, okay. My purpose is to point them in the right direction where they can get advice. Yes. So I will do a, sort of an audit for them in okay. terms of their financial you know, needs. Yeah. And then where we highlight those, then they I go see. off and see yeah. a professional. I also, I do do divorce specialising as well. The language was not very good. <laughs> That's all right. And is divorce on the up? You know, is, are you dealing with more of that sort of requirements in terms of people needing support those but they so there's you get a lot of divorce coaches now and they focus on the emotional side of it but actually it's the practical side of it which is where I specialize so it's it's organizing where your assets are where your banking is and something that traditional wealth managers just don't have the capacity inclination or charging structure to be able to do that so it is really that emotional side of right you come out of your divorce or is during divorce so it's pre or post working alongside their lawyers, helping them to sort of figure out what to do next. A plan for the future because there's so much yeah. change, isn't there? Yeah, and it's not even just like, where do you go to invest? It's where do I sell my wedding dress? What should I do with all my jewellery I don't want? You know, how do I get that valued? What are my priorities? When everything's up in the air, you've got multi-properties and you're like, oh, so I just kind of keep them motivated and keep them on track. Excellent, excellent. So I do still feel that many people, particularly women, don't talk about money yet it's fundamental to well-being not just now but in terms of future planning you mentioned divorce and that seems to be coming through what's your view on that are women talking about money more or is it still really not a thing that they're concerned with yeah you know and I think this is a really interesting discussion that's going on about people talking about money more and I think it's really important to highlight and be really precise about what we're talking about when it comes to money so we talk about how women and men have different approaches to money. Yes, but what do we mean? So, for instance, if I go to some places, I will hear overhear men's conversation. They'll be talking about investing. And there's a lot of peacocking and there's a lot of like bravado around it. They're not talking about their day to day. Oh, this is how much I spent in my food shop, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, which is good. And I think that women need to be taking more action in their long term financial discussions. Yeah. So, you know, what what's my mortgage going to be like you know where do I want to be in five years time not just like can I afford to buy my food or you know what my day-to-day budget the budgeting they're very budgeting aren't they sort of cash and savings well yeah yeah, but not to generalize because that's what they have traditionally been told to do and they're very good at it so you know some of the conversations we've had do the short-term planning and the long term will work itself out Well, yeah. And so, you know, for instance, I had a client I was speaking to the other day and she's, you know, just like, oh, yeah, I need to buy a new property now. She's coming out of the balls. I'm like, no, 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 babe, hang on, because you need to think about your cash flow for the next 20 years going out and spending two million pounds on a property right now might not be the best way to tie up your money. So it's like, you know, giving them that breathing space, (laughs) you know, because, yeah, it's exciting and they want to do that. But it's what will happen next. And this is a really key part of it is the concept of risk and what are the areas that will affect you now and in the future and so going back to you know do women talk about money yeah we talk about money but maybe not in a strategic way yeah yeah so you talk about risk let's just talk about crypto you've got a younger audience that you're saying you know you engage with do you think that's a short-term fad or is it something worth considering and people interested in it what's your thoughts I think it should be part of everybody's portfolio right now, to be honest, because okay. it's not going anywhere anytime soon. We're actually going to be doing a, a workshop in a couple of months time on crypto, but not just like the beginner's guide. What is it? It's more yeah. what can you do with it and where is yes. it going? Future planning it. And um, where is it going? What can you do with it? Can you give our listeners some bite sized nuggets of info on that? Let me condense it. 
So the different applications for it in terms of if you're buying things in the metaverse, and that's not just NFTs, that's looking at, you know, where retail, you've got the likes of Prada or whatever, you can buy your little avatar, their outfits, and it's going to be huge. Mm -hmm. Just because if you look at how the upcoming generation has grown up they've grown up online and being stuck yes. indoors throughout the pandemic as well they're becoming very used to navigating online worlds so yeah. it's kind of like going back to when well when I was little playing the sims loved playing mm-hmm. the Sims day it's yeah. that alternative reality where you feel you've got some control with so much uncertainty in the world it's going to be a safe haven for a lot of people and that's where the money's going to be going as well and if you look at buying properties in the metaverse a friend of mine she's currently getting her house redesigned by architects in the metaverse and then hosting art shows and art gallery things in there so you get a huge global reach as well but remember going back into risk understand what you're getting into and what mm-hmm. your capacity for loss is in yes. there don't don't put it all in at once no but I think the only way to to learn whether you're comfortable with it or not is to yeah. try to have and a un- go but keep all your eggs in different baskets is that well the- yeah you know if it's just putting 50 quid in and understanding what the platforms are like and how you get your money in how you get your money out that I think is worth a shot, but you know, yeah. don't put you you know, don't remortgage your house to go into crypto. <laughs> and so I read an article over the weekend about investing in Chanel, and I love that term, investing in Chanel rather than just buying Chanel. Um, yeah. It's actually giving higher returns than some of the stock markets or crypto markets, etc. Now I know that you've looked at art investment and real estate and wine. You know, what's your thought on all these different types of investment now? Is this becoming of more interest to more people? I definitely think so. I think people are getting quite hesitant to invest in the stock market at the moment because they're seeing that actually there doesn't seem to be that much logic going on behind the Mm -hmm. scenes. And because it's so um, sensitive to behavioural (laughs) impact, you know, if you look at the impact that Elon Musk has on Tesla and things like that, how seismic shifts can happen because of one person's decision and the underlying fundamentals don't necessarily hold up with the value of the company. So by holding on to assets that individuals know and they're tangible. Yeah, um, they feel more confident about them. That's really yeah, good point. there's more comfort in having something tangible rather than something that is quite remote, such as a, yeah. a share. But again, you have to look at like liquidity on that as well. So there's only going to be a market if there's demand and, yeah. you know, and, and looking at the different platforms as well for resale of handbags and luxury goods. They're yeah. there, but again, it needs to form an overall portfolio in terms of your risk and your liquidity. That's interesting, isn't it? Because when there's times of uncertainty, people go back to a sort of gold. And Mm. now I suppose it's Chanel and, you know, tangible items. It's really interesting what you're saying. I mean, it's a well-known thing, isn't it? People want that comfort in their investments. They want to be able to feel it and see it and know it's there and not gone anywhere. Well, exactly. And especially when we've got such an influx of, um, you know, uh, inflation is coming in, people don't know what's going to be happening, you know, with the Ukraine war, everything like that is being such an impact. Up in the air, isn't it? And panic in the stock markets. So actually, I think we're kind of going back to art, watches, classic cars, that kind of thing as well, where, yeah, you can hold it, you can store it. I love that. It gives me an excuse to go out and what, <laughs> save some money and go out purchasing, doesn't it? I'm investing in it. I but but again, if you're, looking at, if you're looking at the Chanel handbags and everything like that, the resale market is where you're going to get better value because Chanel um, notoriously put up their, the prices mm-hmm. every couple of years. And I think yes. this has been the, the biggest price increase that we've seen for a very long time. 
So yeah, look at places like Cellier or you know other resale outlets out there and see if you can get a bargain. We'll do. We'll do. I'm just talking about sort of trends and things. What about ethical investment? Are people more interested in you know the environment and the social impact? Are you seeing a higher level of interest in that sort of thing? Yeah. And I think because it's being spoken about more, people are more conscious about what they're putting in their portfolios. The other thing to highlight as well with ESG is that it's very tricky to actually look at how it's actually being governed itself. So there's a lot of talk. measured and reported on. So there's a lot of talk about greenwashing and actually how they are, yeah how do you govern your governance in ESG? And do you think the wool is slightly being pulled over people's eyes? I think a lot of a lot of the investment houses have pushed things out and branded it without really considering how they're going to do it. And again, you've got the difference between impact investing and ESG investing. And you do have some really good things out there. So you've got Manch, M-A-A-N-C-H, and you've got Tumelo as well. And they're okay. trying to help individuals to screen their portfolios because when you're when you're investing in a fund as well, you're at the mercy of the fund manager's decision. It's very hard to actually see what the underlying assets are in there. You usually get the top ten, but yeah, okay. who knows what's going on beneath the surface? So, what questions should people ask to the fund manager, or well, to their advisor, or when they're looking yeah. for information? Like, what should they be watching for? So, you name one in terms of how is it actually going to be reported on and measured is a good one. Anything else? The reporting, the measurement and and how their definition of ESG is as well, because it might be on a negative screening basis. It might be we don't have this, we don't have that, or it might be we are targeted at looking at helping African infrastructure or something like that, you know, because that's the social or the environment, you know, and it might just be one element of that that they're focused on as well. So understanding what the investment mandate is for the um, investment manager is probably a good place to start. Yeah, excellent. Okay, and what are the three things women can do right now to improve their financial well-being? Have you got some tips for our listeners that you would say, look, you can do this right now and it will start improving your finance? Yeah, well, the number one, know your numbers. Yeah, You know, everybody will say that, but it's because it's true. How much does it cost you to live right now? And what would happen if you lost your income? So it's doing that risk assessment based on knowing your numbers. So those are my top two. And then the third one is always don't be afraid to ask for help. So whether it's to me, whether it's somebody that you know, anyone out there when you're stuck, go to somebody who's professional and who knows what the, um, the ecosystem looks like. Don't take advice from friends. They might have your best interest at heart, but actually they don't know what's out there. And and they're not you. Their situations are often different. And it's those sort of nuances that make all the difference as to whether you get the right advice or not. Yeah. And you get muddied up with their opinions as well. And that's not always helpful, especially if you're going through something like divorce and they're like, oh, and it becomes too emotional. And I think that's something that people need to distance themselves with when they're making financial decisions is take a step back and I say this to all my clients is become the CFO for your life just schedule yourself in on a quarterly basis as a minimum to have a financial review of all your insurances all your investments all of your banking all of your budgeting and make sure that you are happy with the direction it's going in if not figure out what you need to change I love that. Become your own CFO. Yeah. Lottie, it's flowing by, but we're almost out of time. It's been fantastic chatting with you and understanding more about how we can all improve our financial well-being. It's the topic of our entire show, Your Money, Your Future. For our listeners, you'll find links to the tools and support services we've mentioned today 
Thanks so much to you, Lottie Leaf, for being my guest this week and to you for listening to the Unbiased podcast. Please subscribe to our show, give us a five-star review and tell the people you care about to have a listen. Making a high-quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our White Glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.